0: The Data Reaper Podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at vicious syndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Data Reaper Podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by Death Speaker Zach O. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? Doing all right. How's Death
0: Rattle Demon you treating you? Doing okay. Um, new meta, Hat. Yeah. Everything's different. We have a regular podcast this week after the two non-standard ones. And uh, we can finally talk about the post-patch, post whaling Caverns meta, which has completely flipped upside down. You've got Paladin at the bottom and Shaman at the top. All, it's all
1: topsy turvy, and uh, yeah, I we have to we'll have to figure out some kind of plan if they keep doing mini set reveals the way they are because that was really frenzied last week. But our last podcast was recorded the day we found out about the cars, and now you have the numbers on how at least the first real week of experimentation has gone.
0: Yeah, so first report of a new expansion or a mini set. Or generally a patch will be more erratic in terms of you start figuring out what the meta is, but uh, there are usually a lot of new discoveries and new stuff to reveal the week after. So the second report next week, we'll hopefully shed more light on what's happening, but we do have some things that you know, since the meta has a pretty fast paced, uh, in the first two weeks, you get new things, you identify new things. Even after you write the first report, you start like we record the podcast and already there's stuff that I kind of want to talk about as well. That isn't, uh, discussed in the report itself because we, we couldn't right the data wasn't there. Now suddenly there's more developments and I expect the meta to still change pretty significantly um by next week. Yeah, both in terms of what's like the the specific look of each deck. What's good? Time. Yes. Yeah. What's good and how each deck looks. Those those things are going to change quite a bit.
1: And you took two passes on the decks. Normally, there's the, the, the patrons and gold supporters and all that are very excited for F5 Day, as they call it, where they constantly refresh as you, uh, as you go through the lab and build the decks every Tuesday. Uh, and then you made a second pass on Wednesday, and the report came out uh, just about 13 hours ago on Thursday. It's now your Friday morning, and you're right. There's already, there have already been developments since you finished the report.
0: Yeah, I always do two passes on every archetype. It's just that it's less likely that I'm gonna make uh, modifications uh, on the second day because usually you see results and you you build decks based on the results, and the results are not gonna change much uh, from one day to the next one. But when the meta is this fast in terms of how quickly it changes, and there are a lot of trends that are that can be dramatic, then suddenly. You can make changes uh, at this stage. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that there will be more changes to the decks and the way that the archetypes are built, which is where we're headed right now in this podcast. We're going to talk about the developments of all the classes and the newly emerging archety- archetypes. And I think when it comes to newly emerging archetypes, uh, you kind of have to start with Shaman. Uh, because this class has been completely irrelevant before Whaling Caverns. And they got two cards. Or they got three, but two cards that really mattered. And the shape of the class is just completely different now. Like, it's super strong. Uh, and it just shows you what a Mana Worm can do and what a good card draw engine can do.
1: Well, they got they got three cards, right? They got Wailing Vapor, they got Primal Dungeoneer, and they got not having to deal with Hand of a Doll.
0: I really don't think that was as relevant. I I don't think that even if Hand of a Doll was not nerfed, uh, I don't think that would have made Shaman struggle or in, in any way. I think uh, Wailing Vapor is one of the best one drops in the format right now, maybe the best one. And uh, then you've got Primal Dungeoneer and we talked about it when it was revealed in the last podcast that Primal Dungeoneer was probably the best card in the mini set and it proved to be so because its impact is massive and you know it just goes to show you how important card draw is on a card game uh where you know, we talked about Shaman lacking finishers and win conditions, but turns out all he needed was just card draw to increase the consistency of its available win conditions, which are Doomhammer and a tribal deck. So let's
1: talk about Shaman a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Um, So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with, with Doomhammer or Lurker?
0: I wanna talk about Elemental Shaman first. So, the Elemental Archetype cluster is currently split into two variants. Uh, the first one is the one that we feature in the report, uh, which runs uh, Wackanole Hammer. That's the main difference. So you run Wackanole Hammer, and the deck plays, you know, it's initiative focused. It's a It's a tribal deck. That leverages its tribal synergies in order to gain uh, early board control. And Wailing Vapor really um, is huge in that regard. Uh, really changed the, the way that Shaman contests the early game. And then Dungeoneer just gives them reload potential. But you're basically playing a tribal deck. Um, and you do have a lot of burn. Between you know Gyro Worm, Fire Elemental... You run a um, nature spell package for Dungeoneer, which contains multiple spells that can go face. And you also run Alexstrasza at the top end. Some people run Alakir. Alexstrasza seems a little bit better than Alakir because it's more burn. It bypasses taunts. Just more effective, uh,
1: uh, generally, for the game plan. And I hate playing Dungeoneer on three and drawing an eight drop.
0: Yeah, that is true as well. Even though it's not that likely to happen, uh, you, you Alakir is not, not very impactful. So basically this strategy, you just play Elementals on curve, you snowball board lead, old Hammer, really good at snowballing board leads, uh, especially with Arid Stormer. It's a really threatening card. Uh, and lurker gives you big tempo swings in the mid game. Like develop something, you turn it into a frog. Uh, it's a five six, so it's just massive for the for the cost with a really powerful battle cry. And that's how the deck works. The deck is doing very well, though I will say that since it is a deck that's kind of has a predictable play pattern. There is a sign that it's, uh, I would say, low on the end of the skill learning curve, right? Uh, And it might regress a little bit at high levels of play because of that. Now, the second variant is the one that we're not featuring. We didn't feature in this report because in the first week's report's database, it did not impress. It looks straight up inferior, which is the Doomhammer wielding elemental shaman, which basically is you're playing the tribes, you're you're playing things like Kindling Elemental, you're playing Arid Stormer and such, but instead of Wackenol Hammer, you're playing Doomhammer Rockbiter, um, you're playing Stormstrike, you're playing the burst package of the Doom, of Doomhammer, and you know on paper this strategy you know you take control of the early game. With your Elementals. And then you finish opponents off with your Doomhammer and stuff. The problem is that the builds just... The Doomhammer is kind of clunky. And the cards that you need to run with it are also not great cards. They're not great complementary cards to your Elementals. So it seems to be underperforming. But... What I did notice from the early builds is that most of them were Kazakas focused uh, Most Doomhammer-wielding Elemental Shamans are running Kazakas, And that doesn't seem to work very well. But if you cut Kazakus and actually run 4-drops, then maybe this deck actually has potential. Maybe this variant looks a little bit better. Maybe it could be something. But it does currently look inferior, which is why we opted to go with the full tribal build with Wackenol Hammer. So those are the two variants. Elemental Shaman's matchup spread is very impressive. As I said, high levels of play, I think it will relax a little bit, but it's, it's still a very good deck at every rank bracket on ladder. So that's Elementals. Now, Doomhammer Shaman is a very different deck that doesn't run the Elemental Tribe and it's more of a weapon deck. It's more of a soul demon hunter than an aggressive deck. Um often people right now, you know, HS replay calls it aggro shaman. This is not an aggro deck. This is not an initiative focused deck. This is a resource focused deck which runs weapon burst but has but doesn't rely on developing board in the early game in order to deal minion damage most of its damage comes from off the board um it does run whaling vapor which is kind of weird because the only elementals you run is cage mask custodian and whaling vapor so whaling vapor is basically a dire mole, almost always and that's something that initially confused me when i evaluated the the archetype you know i told myself why am i not running in prison phoenix for example we're running burst we're running damage why shouldn't we run Phoenix? Makes more sense. But you know, the results suggest that there is greater upside in just playing a Diremo and having something cheap to contest board than running a card that has requires more of a setup. So Vapor is really good, even in the Doomhammer build that doesn't run elementals. Um and obviously you run the burst package, you run cards like Gidra, which allows you gives you some swing potential in the mid-game. Uh Brukan is a card that doesn't see much play in this archetype, but it actually has some promise. Because uh, the problem of Brukan before was you didn't have a card draw. So turns out that's important. Yeah, you like the the fact is that Primal Dungeoneer increases the consistency of you having nature spells to use with Brukan. And that makes Burkan better uh, quite a bit. So from a trash card, it now seems reasonable. The one thing that no I noticed in the archetype is Wandmaker's being underwhelming. But could we couldn't I couldn't find anything that was an upgrade or it, it's it, the card is pretty consensual like in every build and it's hard to find alternatives with the first week's database but i suspect that there's probably a way to improve on it uh there is one package that seems promising preliminary results where you run novice zapper not as a one drop but as a complementary piece for a landslide and that could boost doom shaman's uh aggressive matchups uh, things like Druid, Landslide Zapper is huge against it. Yeah, uh, definitely Demon Hunter too. Yeah, so you have ways to just. Uh, it's almost like again, Soul Demon Hunter uh, relied on having good board clears. Like Blade Dance was kind of an AOE effect, and you have you had Shadowhand Mystic, and like Bomb Warrior had its AOE and removal, and this is kind of a similar approach where you're playing. You equip the Doomhammer and they're going to try and pressure you once you equip the Doomhammer because when you play it, you spend basically seven mana um, doing nothing that impacts the board. So they're going to press you and then you have the board clear to just deny their their pressure, Um, deny their initiative. So Zapper Landslide could be a good package, and we have a suggestion on how to incorporate it in the, this report. Involves cutting Wandmaker, cutting Gidra, cutting Burkan, with those four cards. Doomhammer Shaman seems to be the deck with the higher ceiling. Uh, in terms of future meta trends, where its worst matchup is Face Hunter, and Elemental Shaman's worst matchup is Rush Warrior. Face Hunter is a deck that I expect to see decline in its performance over the next week, while Rush Warrior is a deck that I expect to stay strong or get even stronger. So based on that, as well as other things, like the Strength of Priest, for example.
1: Uh, And the relative play rate at Priest at different rank brackets.
0: Yeah, yeah. Doom Shaman's performance uh, is indicative of, of a deck that's uh, on an upward trajectory. While well, Elemental Shaman might be falling off a little bit. And you can already notice it on, at Legend right now. Doom Shaman is outperforming Elemental Shaman. So this deck really looks like beyond the face Hunter matchup. Seems to have no real weaknesses. Very impressive. Uh, maybe the main weakness is Ooze. Uh, you look at it, it's one of the uh, it's worst matchups, other than Face Hunter is Life Steel Demon Hunter, and that's mostly because Ooze is very prevalent in LSDH builds right now. So Ooze is the main uh, counter to the deck, but Ooze is not worth running, definitely not right now. So that's uh, that's what I had to say about Doom Shaman. Uh, How
1: many times this expansion? You expect in a podcast you will tell people to stop running ooze? every week. I think probably every week, right? Yeah, probably,
0: probably every week if Doom Shaman continues to look this successful. Yeah.
1: Well, it sounds like you're describing pure Paladin, Libram Paladin of of the uh, both decks are viable, but where they're viable on the ladder and how they how they compare uh, sounds very familiar.
0: Yeah. But I would say, yeah, because it, 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 it is affected by the meta composition, you're going to see less Face Hunters at top Legends, so Doom Shaman becomes better, while Elemental Shaman is more centric on the board, has better matchups into aggressive decks, though I will say that um, Face Hunters is still good against Elemental Shaman, it's not like uh, Elemental Shaman beats Face Hunter, it's just that the matchup isn't as bad. So... Shaman looks very good. There has been experiments with evolve Shaman, but this deck I think is going to f- it's not going to uh, last. Um uh, it's kind of close, strangely close to being viable, but um not quite there. Um uh, people asked uh often ask about control Shaman. That archetype is still trash. Every experimentation that I've seen with control Shaman looks really bad, so there's not much there.
1: It's a shame, too, because uh, Perpetual Flame is such a cool card and, and is pretty strong, but there's just not an archetype to support it. It's also not a nature
0: spell. Uh, it is not. Like, Primal Dungeoneer, this is why like, I really like the fact that they printed Primal Dungeoneer, but when you look at um, other classes like Mage, we're going to get to Mage later. Mm, much later. Uh, yeah, much later. We're going to get to Mage. Later. I'm going to say something about Mage, too. But it's going to highlight the importance of yeah you're going to print card draw, but you need to consistently p- print card draw from mechanics that you want to push. If you want synergy, real synergy uh, to work, you're going to ha- increase the consistency of that synergy. And uh, two for a uh, one for two, uh, which is primal dungeoneer, is a big difference from a card that just cycles. So you see, like when you look at the three dungeoneers that they printed this at. You had two of them offering cycle with an effect and the one that offered a, a draw, a real draw engine, which gave you two cards for one. And that's a huge difference. So
1: and both draw, like the second draw being targeted in Dungeoneer is such a big deal. Uh, and I'm looking at the report, the three archetypes that we have listed, even though Evolve Shaman's on the weaker side, um, three archetypes we have listed are... Go get custodian for Doomhammer. Go get custodian for Whacka Hammer,
0: and go get custodian for Knuckles. Yep, because you have a tutor for your tutor now. Right, Dungeoneer draws cust- uh, custodian, which draws you your weapon, your whatever weapon your strategy is based on. That's your win condition. Uh, it's pretty funny to see how Shaman is warped around that. It's it's like Shaman is just desperate for consistency. So it's desperate for a win condition. Most of its win condition are based on weapons. Thanks to Custodian. Because it gives gave them some draw, some way to find their win condition. And then Dungeoneer gives them custodian more consistently, which gives them their weapon. So everything is now warped around nature spells and like a small elemental package, at least a small one. Uh, so if you want to print new strategies, like if you ever want to do like an, a different shaman deck that isn't based on weapons or something, then you can print a card draw engine or some other deck building niche that's entirely different from the primal dungeoner niche. So you give those things and they're, they're like, if you give those strategies that you're trying to push card draw options, they're far more likely to be successful. Uh, and again, we'll get to mage. I really want to say something about mage, but uh, I'll hold it for now. And there are historical examples of, well, um, raiding party. You want to play pirates and weapons? You print raiding party. Yeah. Uh, tutors, draw effects that draw a specific thing are good design because um, they they do give you a deck building restriction. You have to build your deck in a certain way. But they allow these strategies to find consistency uh, and find success. And they also feel a lot better to play. Uh, just It's not just Shaman is much better now, which it is. It also, Shaman feels a lot better to play than it yeah. did before.
1: I mean, you think about when Hunter got Scavenger's Ingenuity and we built around that card for a year, even after they nerfed it because the first iteration was way too many stats. Um, you just you know you're gonna hit your face or your Wolpertinger and that's that's kind of cool it makes the deck more reliable um, and it's still a much better avenue than recruit which did the same thing except it bypassed mana cost and that was that was scary you can't do that but when you draw the card you have to pay for it
0: yeah and you see wrangler right now and Hun- uh, hunter as well yeah uh, kind of a similar deal so yeah these kind of effects we need to see more of them in the game not less of them. Uh, but yeah, shaman's back. Shaman is good, strong. Uh, has two archetypes that look very good, and you can take them to ladder and have a lot of success with them. Um, and, and that's great. Uh, it, I, I, I honestly am a, a little bit surprised that it was. It made that big of a difference. A little bit surprised, but it just shows you how important card draw is. And uh, yeah, mana worm is good. Uh, Surprise,
1: knows? it's. And at first, it's Wailing Vapor, it feels like a dire mole, uh, but we've had one man and one threes, you know, your safety inspectors, whatever, that didn't really make a dent, that weren't good just because of the stat line.
0: But at, In Elemental Shaman, Wailing Vapor is a tunnel well, troll. Okay, in Elemental <laughs> that card Shaman, is nuts. it's crazy.
1: But um, in, in Doomhammer Shaman, you play Vapor on 1, maybe you have Custodian on 2 with a good draw, otherwise just a 1-3, it's still the best mulligan in the deck by a healthy margin.
0: Yeah, and it's and, and it's Dungeoneer fodder as well. So yeah. since you're running two Dungeoneers, you need to run at least four elementals. And it just makes the most sense. It is better than Phoenix, even though I really wanted to like Phoenix. Like when I looked at the results, it was pretty obvious that it should be Vapor. So that's what we should be doing. Yes.
1: And I think we briefly mentioned Evolve Shaman. Um, I'm glad this deck is not good. I'm very glad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, That's good. It doesn't have Horde Pillager for the recursion. It's not reliable. Sometimes you spike a, a very early selfless sidekick, and otherwise it's just not a thing.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Demon Hunter.
1: Demon Hunter. This is your deck of the moment. This is what you've been playing in ladder most recently.
0: Yeah, I've been playing it. It's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of, it feels a lot better than before the patch, to be honest. Um, but you don't say... Yeah, feels a lot better. Ectoplasm and Fel Rattler are nutty cards, and um, I've been playing the the list in the report. I just swapped uh, Fishy Flyer for Mutinous, which is something that we also suggest in the report. And honestly, Mutinous is so fun. Hat it's such a fun card. I want to play it in every deck, even if it's not good. But it could be good, and uh, it's like uh it shows the signs of being a pretty decent card even in death metal uh demon hunter so um uh, how do we build death demon hunter this is one of the biggest questions that people often ask us because there's so many build approaches one of the most popular suggestions that people um you know bring up is like why are we not running Phil steel executioner so here's the story for this report. You look at the meta, the meta is incredibly greedy. Uh, Death Rental Demon Hunter is really incentivized to just put as much stats on the board as possible and have cards that just present board presence, right? And Felsteel Executioner is a card that works. It works, it's not a bad card. Um, looking into the data, definitely it's viable to build a Felsteel Executioner list. The thing is, though, that being dance and just putting stats on the board currently is better. Why? Because if you spend mana trying to corrupt Felsteel Executioner, there isn't really a great point to play it. Usually it comes down ideally on turn 5. And there are a lot of decks right now that punish you just equipping a weapon and going face like you really it's hard to do that when every other strategy is trying to play around a Doomhammer, right you, you need to worry about Doomhammer, so you want to pressure into five and fell steel executioner is kind of a similar deal so it's hard to corrupt it can be hard to corrupt early enough and it can be punishing because a lot of Strategies right now are very minion-dense. So they start playing, pressuring the board. You equip the steel, You you can go face with it, but you're not going to win the race against a lot of strategies. So even though it's fine and it's okay, the better strategy right now is to put stats on the board. Is that going to change next week? I don't know. It's possible. Like, I'm not ruling it out. So that's one thing. Other thing uh, people suggest is running um, Sigil. Of summoning uh instead of Nazoth, you run those early game taunt demons uh in order to contest board and have a faster deck. Often it involves fell stealing Executioner as well. And that can also work, but whenever you queue into Priest or another removal focused strategy or a, a dense uh heavy strategy, even like Rush Warrior, you're gonna miss Nazoth. Uh, Like, it's going to make a big impact in in, in a lot of matchups, where you have the longevity that it provides you. It's a massive turn. Uh, It's basically, you have two Blackthorns, right? You have Blackthorn, and you have Nazoth for your late game. And it gives you your third Inquisitor, which is also pretty huge. So, right now... The best approach that we've identified in this report is the Threat Dense uh, build that we, you see in the report. It's possible that other approaches are fine. I'm not saying they're not correct. There's even big uh, death Deathrattle, Demon Hunter. All of these look viable on the first week of whaling Caverns. It's it's easier to look viable on the first week of Wailing Caverns. So in the second week, when you know decks start to become more efficient... We'll see what ends up surviving. The point is, I'm not writing anything else off, any other ideas in Death Battle Demon on there. We just brought the best approach that we see is significantly outperforming the others. I don't know,
1: Zach. The the first week, I found the builds with Felsteel Executioner do really well against Celestial Druid.
0: They must be good, right? I guess... Well, if you want to do well against Celestial Droid, what you need to do is play a Hearthstone deck. You're probably favored. You can even draft an Arena deck and you might go 50-50. I don't know how. Uh, the point is, uh, building the what I noticed that was interesting this week, and I did the modification for it later on, is that Ace Hunter Queen is strong enough even without True Aim Crescent. Like, we remember before Wailing Caverns, Crescent was a big card in this archetype, provided swing potential, but now it seems like in the, in the current meta, which is a little bit greedier, you don't need it as much anymore, but Crean is still very good, and the reason is uh, opponents often ignore your board. They don't want to kill your Razor Fan Beastmaster if they can't deal with whatever it pops. So sometimes they ignore the board and go face. And then you put cream on the board and trade. The one thing you need to be wary of is cream against Priest because of Soulmere. That is an interaction that you need to be pay attention to and be careful of. Because that can just completely blow you up. But other than that, Kreen seems good in a lot of other matchups and worth running. Man Crick is fine. Gives you another 3-drop. There are a lot of 3-drops, but... A lot. Most of your 3-drops are things you want to cheat out rather than play. So, Mancart gives you a play. Um, again, there's the decision between meatness and Fishy Flyer. Personally, I like Meadness better. But Flyer is okay as well. And then there's Curt- Curtis Ashfall. I, personally, I don't like the card after playing with it. Um, it's not very consistent. But it is an option. Just not the, the best card. Lots of people tell me... I don't want to craft a Zako, This is such a niche legendary or Vectus. Yeah, you run a bunch of niche legendaries that don't really see play in other archetypes. So to people who are tight on dust, um, it's kind of awkward for them. And I, I mean, will making, say to them,
1: making Kreen, Alar, and Vectus is a little questionable with the dust strategy. But it's as of right now, they, they appear to be cards that belong in the deck.
0: Yeah, so like we're just posting the list that seems to be great. Alara is not a great card, but it's insane off Blackthorn. It's insane when you resurrect it with Nazoth. So, it's kind of a card that you don't really want to draw, but you really want you kind of want it in your deck anyway. Uh but it's not like you if you don't run Alara, it's going to make your deck significantly worse you can play whatever else is makes sense with the deck like it doesn't it's not doesn't make that big of an impact so and it's possible that maybe next week or two we'll say hey alara is not that great anymore i don't know uh the point is just if you don't want to craft these legendaries and you still want to play the deck just figure out the next best things if you have curtis you run that if you have maybe you run double fishy flyer maybe you run something else uh you know,
1: there, there are many options. You don't have to go out of your way for these legendaries if you just want to try the deck out. Uh Like, a few substitutions is totally reasonable.
0: Yep. Okay, so that's Rattle. In terms of Lifesteal Demon Hunter, kind of interesting because before Wailing Caverns, we saw the hybrid build that runs Blackthorn doing really well. Uh, But that build kind of disappeared for this database. Most people are back to the standard combo builds. Not much uh, to see there in terms of changes. It's mostly about whether you run you want to run ooze. Um, ooze was kind of relevant in the first few days because of bulwark and people playing control warrior. I- Not so much anymore, right? But um, it's still relevant against like doomhammer. So there is a role for ooze in in the current meta, and and life demon hunter is one of those decks that can afford to run one uh, kind of funky tech card and not feel, because you have so much draw, uh, then running one of is a little bit better than in other decks. Uh, or you can run uh, glaive, which is really good against Druid specifically. Like, that card is very impactful in that matchup and can, like, win you the game because you get another answer for Swarm and Gibberling and such. So that's uh, that's Lifesteal Demon Hunter.
1: Yep. Um, and so Lifesteal DH, I remember, really struggled against Paladin. Does it look like it has signs of improving now that Paladin is so much worse, or or is Shaman just taking its place?
0: So Lifesteal Demon Hunter is kind of the same deal. It's kind of the same deal as it was before Whaling Caverns, where it's like, it's very weak through most of ladder, and then at Top Legend, it kind of nears the 50% win rate. Um. And it's kind of funny, like people will sense a pattern here. Lifesteal Demon Hunter always have this has this win rate that's just sub 50 at top legend. What's the deal with that? I don't think this is a coincidence. And I think mostly what it comes down to, even me as a player who often frequents uh, that rank bracket, whenever Lifesteal Demon Hunter starts to get popular, I intentionally play a deck that's good against it. Like it's almost like I refuse to play against that's it, bad against it. It it, it kind of has this priest issue where people do not allow it to have a favorable field.
1: Yeah. The people that play against it, they don't want to win, they want
0: you to lose. Exactly. They don't I don't know, they just don't want to lose to that deck. It's a deck that's very annoying and irritating and sparks an emotional response when you lose to it because it is frustrating. It does some nonsense. It does nonsense that you don't feel like it's part of the game. Um and Priest is very frustrating to play often uh, like lots of people have frustration playing against Priest, myself included. So whenever Priest is common, I just don't want to play a bad matchup into Priest and it's very and it's very comp common at higher levels where people are very wary of these kind of decks and want to play good matchups against them so it's almost not a coincidence that a deck like Lifesteal Demon Hunter will always have a win rate that's kind of sub 50, slightly sub 50 because it's almost at the point where if it becomes good then people immediately there's a reaction for it so it's not a coincidence that it's always uh, gets to that point and same for Priest, you're never like, we never see it performing at a tier 1 level at top legend in terms of win rate even though it is a s- one of the more skill testing decks in the format and uh obviously it's, it has it, it's strong but like it never gets to the tier 1 position because if it ever gets to that point and it becomes too popular it's unbearable for everyone and they immediately move towards running decks that beat priest So you can see like Face Hunter can quietly have a really high win rate at Top Legend and people won't be bothered by it as much. But if Priest ever displayed that's kind of win rate, it would be unbearable to the player base almost. And they would just, yeah, it would be unbearable to them. So there are decks that kind of fly, like the way, the manner in which some decks win often determines how hard people respond to them. And priest and Lifesteal demon hunter are one of those, are two of those decks that really incite a response, a very quick response by the players. that's it's interesting to see in terms of the psychological impact of the manner in which decks win. Uh, I think poison rogue is very similar in that regard as well. And it's kind of a self correcting. Uh, uh, it's kind of a self correcting uh, phenomenon because. Decks that people don't like losing against are more likely to be countered faster. So it's almost like there's a self-correction. This deck isn't very fun to play against. Then people play the counters, and then maybe you don't see it as much as you could. But you still see a lot of priests, unfortunately. <laughs> and
1: that deck feels a little bit harder to counter. It's not quite like you're playing against Doomhammers or
0: Swine Test Shanks. Just like, ooze it up, go nuts. Yeah, there isn't, there isn't a, a, a silver bullet against priests you kind of have to build your whole strategy into being able to sustain through their insane removal toolkit and their comeback mechanics and some more apotheosis and stuff like that it's uh and you have to fight through 50 cards rather than 30 and you have no idea what the other 20 are They could be whatever they want or you stare into their hand like Nine turns in and they have nine cards and seven of them are generated. Four by a Sethic Veilweaver and other by Discoverers and Wandmakers and such. So it's a it's a daunting task to face them in the late game. Even though, again, like not the highest win rate, but yeah. And the thing is about Priest also and Lifesteal Demon Hunter, in terms of psychological impact, is that when you lose to them, you spend more time losing to them than winning. Like, the longer the game goes, the more likely that Lifesteal Demon Hunter wins the game because it finds its combo. And the same goes for Priest because the longer the game goes, their, their resource-focused win condition, which is grinding you to dust, is more likely to pull through. So even if, let's say, Control Priest has a 50% win rate, let's pretend it has a perfect 50% win rate. It spends more time in-game winning than losing. So even though it has a 50% win rate, if its wins are on average like 12 minutes and its losses are 8 minutes on average, it's going to spend more time winning and you're going to spend more time losing to it than beating it. And that also has an impact on how uh, people perceive the deck or whether they enjoy playing against it or not. So that's, that's another interesting thing to keep in mind when it comes to the psychological impact in Hearthstone this has this has turned this conversation has turned into a strange direction but i don't mind it so yeah something to keep in mind that's interesting
1: yeah it's this conversation i think is a uh, valuable resource
0: yeah yeah so speaking <laughs> of that uh since we're talking about priests anyway let's talk about priest builds and control priest um maybe the most diverse class in the format right now in terms of the thing is, it's always been kind of janky and people try things that don't work. Now it's kind of in a position where people are trying a lot of things and everything works. And that kind of spooks me in a way. But yeah, it seems to have a lot of options. So if you look at the standard way of building Control plays, one two cards are making a big impact on, on the archetype uh Narlax is a card that i suspect we'll see more and more play as time goes on because it seems like a really strong control priest card like you you want it in the mulligan it provides you with answers um it's hard to play around because again like they don't know what you ended up generating and it's just powerful it's just a powerful value engine uh that outclasses the for example by a mile um, so that card is impressive. Obviously, Muteness is also impressive. Uh, control piece is all about disruption. It's a removal-focused deck, so if it ends up killing a card in your hand before you put it on the board, then it's even better, right? You don't need to worry about it later. So those cards are making the biggest impact so far in Control price, at least in the standard build. And then there are difficult decisions to make. So personally um i'm not a fan of sethic veilweaver and also data wise before whaling caverns the card did have its weaknesses however you have to recognize that where priest is good where people want to play priest there are a lot of priests so which means that mirrors are common and also the meta has become more greedy uh, and that has translated into a better performance from Sethic Veilweaver. And now it's a card that's really hard to leave out of the deck. And what's amazing is that Sethic Veilweaver is still worth running, even if you don't run Smites or Shadow of Death. Death. Like, you can run nothing at all that works with Veilweaver other than Renew on itself or Apotheosis, and you rely on whatever you generate, which you often generate things for a Veilweaver. Usually that's the way they go. But the card seems too important to cut right now. Could change, but uh, that's basically the the message. When it comes to final slots, uh condemn seems good right now because of Druid. Also very important against Rogue.
1: And it's pretty good against Death Rattle Demon Hunter too.
0: It's okay against death. A lot of those their things though are three health rather than. I guess it's okay, but it's not like uh, if their board is sticky, it's sticky. I would say it's mostly good against token druid and miracle Rogue. Obviously, it has a role in every matchup, but this is where those cards real that card really makes an impact. Uh, you could swap either Condemn or Hysteria for Elucia if you're seeing a lot of Miracle Rogue and Lifestyle Demon under Right now, even at Top Legend, you don't see a lot of those two decks specifically. Elucia is also okay against Doomhammer Shaman. Not bad because, again, you can take away their burn. So, card's not bad. Potentially slots in. Uh, instead of one of those removal options yes hysteria is no longer a core card that you have to run a two of in every priest deck that's one of the kind of interesting developments that we're seeing right now so that's the main control priest build looks very good obviously then there's the other option wait a minute wait a minute Do you hear that We're going full yoink, cat. Full yoink is back. Full yoink. And the full yoink comes thanks to Against All Odds. So Against All Odds, new card. The one card that isn't a draw card in Priest. Priest not interested in the draw right now because it doesn't have a proactive finisher. And C'Thun sucks. We talked about it in the um, set episode for Wailing Caverns about the draw options for Priests and why they might fail even though they, they're they powerful cards. So this is what's happening. But against all odds, made Wave of Apathy and Cabal Acolyte Package worth including in Control Priest. And the build, the Yoink build that we have in the report, very successful, very competitive with the standard control build. Um, the main takeaway, I think it's easy to understand. You're not running AOEs almost in this deck. You're not running Condemn. Um, you're not running uh, Hysteria, so that's kind of amazing that you're not running that card. Uh, You're mostly about swinging the board, stealing a big threat, Uh, or even a medium-sized threat can be very crippling with uh, Acolyte uh, Wave of Apathy, so you're better against things that develop tall. What decks develop tall? All of the Nizoth decks. The mirror matchup, death Deathrattle, Demon Hunter, Warrior is getting heavier as well. There's so many matchups where just stealing one big threat can just blow out the opponent. Uh, and and this strategy, because of the greed and all the threat-dense build that you see on ladder, it's working. Then you also have against all odds. You can run one copy. You can run two. Maybe even cut a Veilweaver. That's an answer to Nazoth. Like they play N'Zoth, it's not the old Nazoth. it doesn't produce Death Rattles, it's not sticky, you can wipe it for six mana with wave and uh, against a lot, it's probably less than that since you're probably discounting them with bomb rating, but the point is, it's a great answer to Nazoth. Uh Also, big advantage of this build, very good in the mirror, especially if you run double Sethic. uh. uh Cabal Acolyte is a really strong card in the mirror. They off, Like in the mirror, often what happens, they discover a, a, a big dragon off of studies. They play like a, a Plagued Border Drake. That's an often uh, a, a very common play in the late game. You steal that with Wave uh, Acolyte and just put yourself at such a big advantage. Um, so wave, wave Acolyte, very good in the mirror. I would say it has like a 5%, maybe even more edge in the mirror. It's even good in the mirror when you don't run Sethic Veilweavers. You don't even need to run Sethic Veilweavers to have a decent mirror matchup. You can run uh like an hysteria and a second against all odds, and you still do fine. Though again, Sethic seems very important right now. It becomes increasingly important. So those are the two builds. You're running into a lot of druids, miracle rogue. You probably want the standard build with condemn. You, you run into a lot of aggressive opponents. Maybe you want to switch to Condemn for, like, Smites or something. A lot of things are being experimented with. Like, you want an answer to Wailing Vapor, then Smite is a good uh, option. But if you're running into a lot of big stuff, a lot of Mirrors, nazoth decks and such, you Yoink them and uh, win games that way. Quite impressive. Welcome back, Full Yoink. We missed you. Yep, so we'll see what happens depending on how the meta develops and what kind of boards are being presented to Priest. It's going to have to make a choice between these two approaches or maybe even more because there's so many things that Priest is trying out right now that it's really hard to keep track of. If even top level players, you know, I've talked to a few of them Um are struggling to figure out what's the best way to build Priest right now. This is one of the biggest mysteries in the game, uh, how to build Priest, because there seems to be so many options and all of them seem viable and there's so many cards that you have to consider that it's difficult to make sense of it all. But I will say that you probably want to run this off. That's what I will say. Some people ask me about Giant's Build. Um they don't look good right now. They get completely farmed by the Nazoth build. That's one of the problems.
1: Yeah, well and South Sea Scoundrel is kind of revolutionized priest when people figured it out. And if you're running that you might as well run the off to get the free five five thrown in. Uh and we we're yeah. kind of there are a lot of decks in the format that are axed menagerie right now. You have Mutinous, you have you have P Elemental, you have South Sea Scoundrel like that's already three minion types right there. Plus, draconic studies has yeah, sport.
0: and and Mister P-Boy had. Let's not forget this card was already good before Willing Caverns and before the Nazoth buff was already quite relevant. And there are quite a bit, of, quite a few decks right now that try to burn the priest down, which makes uh, Light Shower Elemental quite good, and Nazoth oh, yeah. on it is even better. When you play yeah.
1: Doomhammer and they play Light Shower, it's just you think about how much more damage you have to deal to get through that. It's so much damage.
0: Yep, and and unlike mage, you don't have uh you don't want devolving missiles, so you don't have a great answer to it. You're gonna have to take the fourteen, uh, like basically fourteen extra life for the priest. Unless you got a lily pad lurker, you gotta lurk it. But if you have that and beam hammer, then your deck's probably not good. Yeah, I'm guessing. I do think that a lot of people are very. They like the idea of the Doomhammer Elemental build mostly because of Lilypad Lurker because it allows you to bypass taunts very effectively. That's the one of the most attractive things about the hybrid build of Elemental Doom. So we'll see if it ends up developing uh, in order to be able to answer things like a P-Elemental, which is very devastating, right? A Lurker on a P-Elemental. It's, you're not just hexing that. You're also... Um, Ha- preventing it from being resurrected later.
1: Yeah. And I've played a little bit, a friend of mine, uh, Base Tank did very well on ladder with a, with a hybrid build recently. Um, honestly, it feels like the biggest payoff is Gyreworm because that card's really, really strong and getting to have that active in your in your Doomhammer Burn deck is really nice. But yeah, having access to Lurker just kind of feels like a nice safety valve that you don't have to worry about uh, uh, P Elemental and, and Apotheosis on it the next turn or whatever.
0: Yeah, and w- when it comes to Priest, by the way, I'm already seeing people start to experiment more with uh Cleric of Angie. Oh yeah. And honestly, the yeah, yeah, that one mana, one two that draws. Yeah, that card that people are not interested in. There might be some there might be something there. We may want this card in Priest after all. I don't know. Um it seems not bad uh based on based on uh, people started running more of it after the database closed so really is difficult to say how the hell we build priest but you're probably going to do well with the decks that we have in the report uh because they look very efficient already so that's priest um warrior i think we want to talk about warrior next and warrior again lots of options there seems to be a lot of different approaches to rush warrior well, you have a lot of options within Rush Warrior. Yeah. You have options, a lot of options to win and a lot of options to lose games. So let's talk about the options to win games. That's Rush Warrior. Rush War- yeah, Rush Warrior. So Rush Warrior seems to be embracing Nazoth. I'm not sure Nazoth is going to end up being the best approach going forward. That's for this week. The meta was very greedy um made sense and crash seems like a very good card in the deck you know people saw crash initially they thought about it as a control warrior card but this card does quite a bit of work in a lot of matchups for wash warrior you look at hunter rogue um shaman uh even demon hunter
1: all are pretty
0: frustrated pretty frustrated when it comes down to the board it gives you it gives your hero a
1: divine shield against an Inquisitor or an Alex. It undoes that before it happens. And that is enough to run it. And it's it's not like Crash isn't great at anything, but it's a good deal on so many fronts that it's kind of hard to justify not running it. Uh people are just throwing it in Rush Warrior, no matter what their build is, and it's working out.
0: Yeah, even if you don't run the Zoth, you still want Crash. That's the that's the the biggest takeaway that I can give you in terms of giving you the perspective on how good the card is or how impactful it is in several matchups. It's just a big body. It has 9 health. It's unkillable. Um, you don't need oh, to man. rush it or activate it or frenzy it immediately. It's going to give you that 8 armor. and It's a very important in stabilizing because even though Rush Warrior does care more about the board, leveraging a board lead, it there are a lot of matchups where it needs to be the one that re, re, is responsive and kind of Plays from behind a little bit, and Crush really helps you with that because it helps you stabilize your health total so much. Um, it t- comes to other builds. So here's the thing: you really want to resurrect Crush with Nazoth, and other people are trying to do that with Sarfang as well. The problem is if you run Sarfang and Nazoth, it gets to the point where the deck is so greedy and so clunky that it takes away from the deck rather than adding to it. But, I, but we did identify in this report uh, database that there is a way to add Saurfang, but you have to cut troublemakers. So you can cut troublemakers, which are not core mandatory cards, by the way, um, and add Saurfang uh, package with Anchorman. And that seems to work as well. That has some promise behind it. We'll see what happens next week as well, but... This is the best way to incorporate Sourfang. If you want to run the card, you probably have to give up Troublemakers. And then you can just not run the off. There is also a new development last couple of days. Again, like last 48 hours. No chance of seeing it in this report where people are just dropping this off altogether. They're just saying, okay, we're going to go back to like War Mall Challengers and just running the pre-patch build. And that also seems to be working okay. Like it's competitive. So next week the lots of decisions do we want Nizath do we not want Nizath what happens troublemaker versus saurfang um lots of options it's typical of like 5 days in into a new patch there seems to be a lot of options the meta is very chaotic second report of every new meta usually is when we figure things out completely and then we talk about let's talk about how to lose with warrior right Hat? we want to uh, lose with boy. warrior too well, but it y- so is w- slow It's a slow thing. It's a slow way to lose games, which is playing Control Warrior. So much hype. Crash gives you more armor alongside Shield Maiden, the buff Shield Maiden. And Control Warrior got worse because of Wailing Caravans. And yeah, it did get a new card that's pretty good. Crash is good in that deck. And Mutinous is also very good in Control Warrior. The problem is that the meta right now, I mean, we talked about it. Rush warrior wants to run Nazoth and death even uh, runs Nazoth and priest runs Nazoth and everybody just runs a lot of threats in your control warrior you're playing a removal fo- removal focused strategy you're not going to remove all everything that they do you're not going to be able to outclass three inquisitors like very few decks can deal with that um you can't wait around so this strategy just does not translate well into the current meta. And controller has gotten worse. When it comes to its performance against the field. There's just nothing there. People are kind of forced to run Cthulhu. But we know that Cthulhu is bad. And every I've never seen a strategy. That runs Cthulhu. So far. Since the moment that Old God was introduced. Never seen a strategy that stayed. For more than one week. At like low tier 3. It's just not happening. So if you're forced to run Cthulhu, you're probably a bad deck. Um, you caught
1: this during if, the during the preview podcast, but it seems like other people really are insistent on trying it for themselves. And it's
0: um, it's, on, it's honestly adorable. Hat it's adorable yeah. how every time new cards arrive or there's a new patch, people forget that Cthulhu is bad, and I'm here in the podcast coming in again to remind them that Cthulhu is bad. And People who tell me, Zako, you're a Cthun hater. No, I'm not a Cthun hater. I'm actually giving Cthun a fi- I'm doing Cthune a favor. I'm telling you guys to stop wasting your time playing this bad card so that Team 5 take a look at it and say, hey, people really love playing Cthune. They really want to try and make it work. Maybe we buff it. Just like you guys weren't interested in playing the Zoth. And it was a weak card. They buffed it. Not because it was weak. But it was weak and not played. So if Cthulhu ever becomes not played. Then that's when it gets buffed. <laughs> you know? You want to make it low play rate. Low win rate. Then they push it up. So we want to buff Kathoon In order for it to actually be good. I don't know if it it gives it a better chance. Because right now it's not good. So any strategy that relies on Cthulhu to end f- games has proven to be Garbage, if Cthune was good, then Priest would use Cleric of anchi and Dungeoneer in order to draw their old power through the whole deck and win. The, th- the crazy thing is that C'Thun, r- right now, C'Thun doesn't even allow you to beat Control Priest anymore. Pre-patch, pre-patch you played Cthune in Control Warrior in order to have an edge against Priest, but Control Warrior lost that edge completely. It lost because Priest got upgrades. Acolytes insane in that matchup. For example, that the acolyte build, highly disruptive to control warrior. Mutinous, big card in that matchup. More for priest than for warrior. So uh it's it's just it it doesn't work. Anyway, if you want to lose with warrior, go ahead. If you wanna swear by this deck, go ahead. Swear by Cthun. Uh but yeah, Cthunes not good. That's, I do get annoyed by
1: bulwark sometimes. Like there are times where bulwark can be really powerful and then the removal lines up or whatever, but it just doesn't seem like the right strategy right now. It just doesn't seem like the way to go.
0: Yeah. If you want to run a uh, warrior though, you have to run Gore. You know, I keep saying it, but not running Rhalgor is a mistake, but generally running control warrior is a mistake, so not going to pay uh oh. spend too much time uh talking about it. Let's talk about another Cthune deck. Oh boy. Let's cool. talk about Celestial Druid. The high skill cap Uh, you know, Klingons, they're really good at this deck, but human beings are not. Um, Maybe uh, Fino is actually a Klingon. Who knows? But the point is, Celestia Druid, one of the worst decks I've ever seen. Honestly. You know, obviously there are worse decks. There have been worse decks in in Hearthstone's history. But worse decks that are this bad, but still see enough play to be in the power rankings, to have enough data to put them in the in the table. I don't think I remember anything that's worse than Celestial Droid. This is literally the worst deck in Hearthstone history. And you know, it's got all the all the ingredients to be a, a bad deck, right? It's got an inconsistent game plan. It's got flashy effects, but no great defensive tools other than hoping to draw uh, solar eclipse into um scenarian ward. That's pretty much what you do in in faster matchups. That's what you pray for. And, you know, you hope you play the alignment and they don't punish you with it with a giant threat on turn one. Um, You've got the Auctioneer, which is a very popular bait. Ever since it got nerfed way back in like uh, Naxxrama's uh, GVG era. And then you have C'Thun, the cherry on the top of the skill-cap garbage deck. Um, yeah, don't play Celestial, Druid, That's my point.
1: <laughs> I tried it. I, I tried this deck, because obviously you have to try this deck. And um, I played turn four alignment with Anaconda in hand and
0: lost to a priest. But- Here's the thing. C'Thun is not even good right now, even if you get to the Cthune turn. Because oftentimes, like, their board is full. You can't even kill them with Cthune. So, like, most of the time, like, I've played it, I lost to this deck. Multiple times. I've lost to it because it wins 35% of the time. But when it wins, you know what it does? It's the solar eclipse scenario word that gets you. It's not the Cthune. So, I don't know. Maybe we should call it. Scenario or the solar eclipse druid? I don't know because the Cthulhu thing—I've never been Cthulhu. I don't know. Um, you see it in highlights when Fino gets it off; it's on Twitter, <laughs> right? It's on Twitter when it, when it gets it off; it goes on Twitter. It's it's worthier of a Twitter uh, chain of uh, of impressions. Uh, but Dex is not good. I don't know what to tell you. Dex is really really bad. Other druids though, doing fine. Um, token druid also known as Gibbling Dread. We renamed it because there's a new variant uh, that runs Deviate Dreadfang. For now. We talked about... it's not. We're yeah. not going to see too much of that over it, time. I mean, we're already... It, it's gone. <laughs> it's not going to see play. Yeah. Uh, we're. You're still going to want to run Jibberling. It's uh, the same 30 good cards. Deck. There's no reason to deviate same, from those cards. Huh? Oh my god. Huh? That, okay, that was okay. That was pretty good. I, I'll admit Thank it. Thank you. Anyway... Uh, um, one of the best assets of uh, Token Druid right now is its matchup against Death Demon Hunter. That deck doesn't have a uh can be quite slow to get on the ground, doesn't pressure hard enough for the Gibberling Druid um, to go off. And Token Druid is honestly, it's a resource-focused deck. It's not an initiative-focused deck. Uh, it's kind of a weird combo deck. Uh,
1: Reminds me of the Witchwood version, yeah. right? Where you just do this big yes, wind-up
0: punch. Yeah, you're you're basically if you're if you're initiative focused, if you're a deck that wants to press, what you want to do, and you don't have a Ue, you you're forced to. To pressure the Druid and get ahead on the board enough so that their swarm doesn't blow you out or their gibberling turn doesn't blow you out. It's just that sometimes you get the turn one gibberling high rolls, and that gives you the impression that this deck is initiative focused, right? Be- but but basically it's resource focused, but sometimes its win condition is turn one gibberling. Uh, but it doesn't happen that often. Usually you, it's it, usually it spends its mana in the early game drawing cards. Yeah, you go guess the weight and
1: fungal fortunes and all that guess stuff. Guess
0: the weight, fungal fortune. And it does nothing to the board until like turn five, until it gets to the swarm turn.
1: It's kind of this weird, you develop board and then you ignore the board because they have to trade into you. So it's, you you build a bunch of minions, but you're not, you're not there to trade. That's not really what you're trying to do. You're trying to
0: make the opponent trade. It's very much, it's so resource focused, but it's intriguing because it's fast. It's like an aggressive resource focused deck. Uh, because once it gets to the board, it just wants to press face, right? Press damage to face. But it's very much more of a combo deck. And the way to play it correctly, ask any pro or top-level player, and they will tell you, the best gibberling druid players treat this deck as a more of a combo deck where they're trying to set up the board swing rather than try to contest, waste too many resources in order to contest board uh, early or pressure early. You really want to... S- you, you really want to assemble your resources in order to generate something that your opponent cannot deal with. Now, in faster matchups against decks that don't have AoE, um, then you just want to play Swarm as quickly as possible. Very often, that will win you the game because then you follow it up with prize Fury and you put them out of trading range and they just can't deal with it or you play Soul of the Force. But again, matchups like Priest, for example, you really want to set up a board that they cannot deal with in one turn. Uh, usually involves Soul of the Forest, but you really want to set up uh, uh, untradable uh, boards that they just cannot deal with with the mana that is available to them and the cards are available to them, and then you just went through Arbor Up and such. So you really need to treat this deck as a resource-focused deck, and once you understand that it's not an aggressive deck per se, then you'll do better with it. Uh, Clown Druid... um, is doing quite well right now because it's it's weirdly good against Demon Hunter and it's also good against Rush Warrior. The problem with Kalandra is a very polarizing deck. You look at it, its good matchups; it seems to be beating a lot of the bad decks that shouldn't be here, like Control Warrior. And then good decks, strong decks are usually very effective against it. So if meta Trends continue on their current trajectory, you're gonna see Kalandra's win rate drop. Is it still gonna be competitive? Maybe, yeah. But is it going to be as good as it looks right now in uh, the first report? Probably not. So, Druid Wailing Cavern set, there is something there with Deviate Dreadfang. Maybe more support uh, will give that archetype a chance. the The strategy itself is not inherently bad. It's just that it's too slow right now, and you, Gibberling is just outclasses it. Like you want to do if you want to do something powerful. If you can do it earlier, then that's better. Um, generally, that's true in Hearthstone. Um, well, we'll see. I think one of the biggest problems of Deviant found builds is that it just um, doesn't have the early blowouts, right? You're only set it up later, and you want to run Overgrowth, and that's kind of awkward with everything else that you're doing, so that's the main problem. But the card is promising. It's not like... It's a good card in a shell that's currently not good enough, and that was the same story for Jibberling in the past as well.
1: Yeah, and right now you're hoping to Living Seed to turn Dreadfang into a much slower Jibberling, uh, and a lot of the time you have to play your nature spells to set it up. It just doesn't quite have the right tools yet, but there's something there. It's a mount seller. Like it's, we know that a mount seller that you can tutor for and reduce the cost of is going to be good at some point.
0: There's a decent chance that eventually uh, Dreadfang becomes good. Yes, um, it's not like Celestial Alignment. Yeah, and and the thing is about Alignment is that it's clearly a a card that they printed for funsies and if it ever ends up being accidentally good at any point ever, it's probably going to get nerfed. Oh yeah, quickly. Um, yeah. It's not, it's it's just a fun card. It's like, um, basically Deck of Lunacy was the same deal, but they made the mistake of actually making it good. <laughs>
1: I will say they made it cheap, and cheap turned out to
0: be good. I mean, what is it if it is not good when it's cheap? I mean, that's the whole point, had. The the card was too powerful at two mana. It was just in a bad deck, so before. So yes. but then it got card draw, really powerful card draw, and suddenly the deck became good. Oh, huh? coincidence. I think not. Um anyway. Much like Druid Rogue is kind of in a similar story. But I think it's more dramatic because Rogue cards really did not inspire anything of note. I'm kind of disappointed by Shroud uh, that it de- It doesn't really make it to Miracle Rogue. I think the, the, the main thing that prevents it from being successful there or experimented with more is the fact that Miracle Rogue really wants a lot of cheap minions and it's hard for it to be able to accommodate Prep Shroud. In that deck. Uh, you have to give up quite a bit. And it can even be counterproductive for uh, Field Contact. Uh, the better activator for Field Contact seems to be Octobot. That's good enough for the archetype. And that's what it's still doing. Secret kind of the same deal. Same deck. Both of these decks look fine, look good. I expect that Miracle Rogue, um, you know, I've said it before. One of the more skill-testing decks in the format. As such... Uh, Its behavior is going to be, it's going to start slow and then it's going to improve in its performance over time. The reason why that happens, uh, if you're if you guys are curious, is because when there are new cards and new decks evolve, and you need to relearn how matchups go, you need to re-understand what you need to do in any matchup. And once you do that, the performance of the deck improves. So this is something that you're gonna see with Priest, unless it gets targeted. This is something you're gonna see a lot with Miracle Rogue as well. Poison Rogue, not very good right now. Still has Thank too many goodness. matchups that are anchored Yeah, I mean token druid, token druid is really good. So po- it's gonna be hard to be good when token druid is good. Same for Face Hunter doing well. These decks demolish Poison Rogue. So even though Paladin's not around, there's still enough things that uh beat it pretty relentlessly. Again, same list. Rogue story is a little bit boring. The new cards didn't really make an impact, but I think that was the intention. I think that that set was uh pretty underwhelming on purpose. It's
1: so I wrote the Rogue Report this week. Um I think I put Z Z Z in it. It's just exactly the same decks. But it's fine. Rogue doesn't need more tools right now. Rogue feels very roguey and is good, but not overpoweringly good. And high level players love to play. Yeah, I mean it,
0: you know. Rogue is in a decent spot. It's not like Rogue is bad and the new cards didn't help. Like Miracle Rogue is a really fun deck to play. Lots of people have fun with Miracle Rogue. And it's a good deck. So it's not like it needs help. And Secret Rogue also has a pretty good niche. Uh lots of decks playing big heavy things. So Stunner gets work done. So those decks are definitely viable and competitive. Um just that you can kind of write it off, but I do think that Shroud may eventually become a good card. I think maybe in a deck that's uh, less minion dense, that actually wants to run few minions, but those minions are impactful, and if you give them um, conceal, um, conceal, then that becomes really powerful. I think that has potential. But I think you can watch out for Shroud to be relevant in the future. I mean, it doesn't seem to be draw working right to, now.
1: two two stealth minions. It, that effect has to be good at some point right like there's just no yeah, way with it's preparation
0: not. it's basically it's basically a, a, a combo prep prep shroud is going to be something i'm pretty yeah. confident eventually just right now rogue is deck. so
1: minion dense that it's pretty hard to hit what you want there might have to be a just yeah. a variant of it that's a little bit less minion dense because right now a lot of your removal <laughs> are minions uh, a lot of your threats are minions uh you
0: know I mean, it's just it's just centered around field contact. So you want as many one mana or cheap battle cries as yeah. you can muster, and and that means that shroud doesn't really target things that like there's no targeting here, no tutoring effect, or even a pseudo tutoring effect. So that's the situation. So I I would look into a shell that has few minions, but those minions matter a lot, and then shroud will become a card. So hunter. Uh, You know, lots of people expect that, oh, Hunter is going to be the same because it got a trash set, but actually Face Hunter is evolving. Um, First of all, Face Hunter looking like the best deck in the game right now in the format, even a top legend where people frown upon it very often. It's performing so well. Is it going to last? Probably not considering uh, Rush Warrior looking good, Control Priest looking good. And I also think that a lot of decks... Uh, can improve the matchup against Face Hunter. I'll give you one example. Uh, Death Rattle Demon Hunter. The bill we have in the report runs I Beam. Most decks on ladder that run DRDH do not run I Beam. I've played 10 games against Face Hunter with Death Rattle DH. I've gone oh, 9 and 1. I don't know. That's an anecdote or whatever, but I feel like that matchup is better than the Priest matchup. <laughs> Priest is still favored, but whenever I Q into a hunter, I started thinking, oh, a free win. And that matchup is statistically unfavored. And when I tried to figure out why that happens, I noticed that I-Beam is a huge card in that matchup. So if people play more I-Beam, for example, then that matchup will likely shift quite a bit against the Face Hunter. And there are other archetypes that I can also see improving their performance against Face Hunter. So even though a Face Hunter looks really powerful right now, it's probably gonna stay a good deck, but not as good as you, you see it. No, and
1: and it's inflated the first week as usual.
0: Yeah, because early meta, you're going to look hyper-aggressive deck, punishes inefficiency. Uh, it's the same deal. Very often you see aggressive decks at the top of the meta in the first week of an expansion or a p- patch or whatever, or a set, or a mini set. So, Face Hunter are very good at that, very efficient. Uh, so, it it punishes a lot of bad decks. Um... In terms of adjusting, so meta is very greedy. People play big, heavy threats. Face Hunter finds itself always, like very consistently, finding the initiative in the early game. It's the deck that gets on the board the fastest. Now that Paladin's gone, and especially, you know, following the first day of school nerf, it already lost the initiative battle against Face Hunter. Now it's just completely gone. Uh, not a lot of decks can challenge Face Hunter's early game very effectively. So it's going to be ahead early. Which means that if you're ahead early consistently, you can run more cards that leverage a board lead. And one of those cards is Wriggling Horror. So we noticed that Wriggling Horror became stronger after Wailing Caverns. Hmm. uh, Stronger than, for example, uh, Arcane Shot. And the reason is, again, it's two damage, conditional immediate two damage on having board. But now you have more board, you're playing against heavy decks, greedy decks, you can really snowball a lead with a Wriggling Horror. So that card seems to be performing very well. And I would recommend it in most matchups. Another card that saw play before the patch was already decent enough then is Crescent. Uh, allows you to get more immediate value off of your Rhino. Allows you to contest board, uh swing, gives you some potential very good with Felma as well. So Decent card is a one-off instead of Knife Ender. Less burn. You're not as focused on burn because you can have more damage, repetitive damage from the board. Uh, that's the message for Face Hunter. Again, pretty good deck. Not going to stay this good.
1: And Hunter has been through these phases before where like, you go more burn-focused, you go more board-focused, you go more burn-focused, and so right now it's we can swing a little bit more for the board and sometimes you just snowball and kill them pretty fast, um, but the the people are already adapting for it, and decks are getting more streamlined. And by streamlined, I mean they're going lower curve. Usually,
0: again, I think other decks will adjust, but it's still going to stay a good deck. It's not like it's bad. It's definitely a good deck. It's just not going to dominate. I I think there will be a different number one at the legend, top legend around that bracket, but it's it's tough to say what it's going to be. I'm tipping Doom Doom Shaman considering if face hunter gets worse. And that's the worst matchup for Doom Shaman. And it's going to look very good next week. But we'll see what happens. Um, speaking of decks, maybe that aren't doing very well uh, is Spell Mage. Oh, we're we're going
1: into... All right, so the bottom three here. This is the section where we get to talk about... You get to talk more about design, I think, in general, as opposed to specific decks, because there's not a lot going on for any of these three classes.
0: Yeah, so here's the problem with... Um, What's what's the name of the Dungeoneer? Frostweave? Fro- f- f- yeah, Frostweave Dungeoneer. So he- here's what bothers me about Frostweave Dungeoneer and why like the freeze deck is failing. And um, you know, people are trying wildfire with the freeze effect. An idea that I floated in the last podcast. And birth and deck that's uh slightly better than celestial droid. That's what it can say about itself. Um, The problem is that Frostwave Dungeoneer is a one-for-one that also limits your deck building. What does it limit? It limits your other forms of card draw, right? Because you don't want to run Cram Session with it. You don't want to run Arcane Intellect with it. So basically what you're doing, you're sacrificing your better draw effects, your draw engine, for a card that goes one-for-one. That's not worth it. That's a big problem for this archetype going forward. If you want to actually... If you want Freeze Mage to work, you need a synergistic draw engine that works with the deck and is a frost spell that requires no deck-building sacrifice in that regard. For example, for every enemy character that's frozen, draw a card. A card like that could help... Freeze Mage, find consistency in its in, in, in its strategy, because right now what you do, what ends up happening, is you run out of cards. You are a resource focused deck that plays reactively. You run a bunch of freezes. You're trying to aspire to some to do something in the late game, probably off of Mordresh, more often, and you run out of cards. You you don't have draw. I've seen people try Arcane Intellect. They're running Arcane Intellect in this deck. Because, like, the deck doesn't have draw. So how is it going to be able to function? So if you want this deck to function, you got to give it draw. Uh, You got to give it an alternative that makes it happy to drop cram session. Because cram session right now, for minion-based mage decks, is too important. And those minion-based mage decks don't even work. So, (laughs) yeah, that's that's a problem. Um, And this is why Freeze Mage fails.
1: Like, the freezes are really designed to extend the game, and then you don't have cards or anything to do if the game goes longer. Yeah,
0: basically. It's just completely counterproductive. Um...
1: Not to even mention the internal tension between you've got payoffs for having more stuff frozen, and then you've got payoffs for killing frozen stuff, and it's kind of pretty awkward to do both.
0: Yeah, and you have so many... Combos, right? You need to often spend two cards a turn. You need to freeze and play Shattering Blast. So You spend two cards in order to do something. But you have no way to reload. Uh, It's very awkward. Anyway, viable Mage decks. Barely. Spell Mage. Looks okay right now. But the fact that it looks mediocre is a concern. Or even worse than mediocre. Because the meta right now is janky enough. And Mage is benefiting... From beating things like crap like Control Warrior. So what's going to happen with those matchups disappear and it starts to see more good decks that beat it? It's going to be in a problem. And to me, it seems like it's going to end up being very fringe performer in the meta. The matchup spread just isn't there. Uh, Too many things just punish it very, very hard. The nerf to Springwater still affects it uh, quite negatively. Doesn't look good. The only thing it does right now in the current meta is beat Priest. Uh, But while it's very enticing to beat Priest, it's not enough if you're sacrificing so much in other matchups. So Mage doesn't look very good in a problem position. Not to... But I will say it's better than Warlock. That's... That's one thing you can say about it.
1: So when you were talking earlier about Priest uh, and needing to hard counter, needing to build a specific way to hard counter Priest, um, I was thinking about Warlock, but then I looked at the stats. It's still a good matchup, but it's no longer devastating.
0: Yeah. So here's the thing. The Control Priest-Control Warlock matchup is trending towards becoming a 65-35. And that's a big difference from eighty five fifteen or something like that. That is a twenty percent difference. so even the one thing that I had going for it, which is countering priests, is no longer a thing. um people don't concede anymore on turn one because the matchup is winnable uh scoundrel helps a lot, mutinous helps a lot uh you acolyte build can swing. Temp- uh, like y- you can swing the board pretty hard with an acolyte and just overwhelm the warlock, so you have a chance in that matchup. So if you don't priest, pre- you- if you don't beat Priest that hard anymore, and you still suck against everything else, and again, just like control warrior, control warlock is a removal focused strategy. It's very reliant on just bending off whatever threats are being placed against it, and this is a threat dense meta. Look at Deathrattle Demon Hunter. That matchup is so hard uh, to deal with. As your
1: one-for-one one removal doesn't work against the nesting dolls, where just their stuff pops out, and then they yeah, rag you.
0: It's just, it, yeah, like, honestly, Deathrattle Demon Hunter doesn't even need to put to deal damage in the early game against Warlock. All it needs is just to keep Warlock occupied until it gets to the Inquisitor turns. Because Warlock cannot deal with Inquisitors whatsoever. If Priest struggles against Inquisitors, what is Warlock even doing? So that's a major problem. Uh, And as I said, it's just like Face Hunter is popular. So what are you doing against that? Doom Doom Shaman is popular. So that's another deck with a lot of burn and over-the-top damage, which is exactly the thing that Warlock struggles against. So you see Warlock went from you know, it was a bad deck before. But it was like scratching the top of tier one. Now it's nowhere near close. Now it's like it tanked into the low 40s. Now it's just straight up unplayable. And even then, you see it's still being played. Because people are just crazy about it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just nowhere near competitive. It It's gotten really, really bad. And the problem with Warlock is that... Other strategies haven't really panned out. Um, Stealer of Souls is a card that has received a lot of hype for what it's doing in Wild. Um, Whether or not that's justified, that's another thing entirely. For its play rate in Wild. Yeah. In terms of play rate and play experience and people complaining about it and what it's doing. But in standard, it's completely irrelevant. It's just not working at all. So, Zoo Warlock running uh, Stealer of Souls, not really a deck.
1: Um, I mean, you didn't have to. You didn't have to add the caveat. It's not just. It's not like there is a non-Stealer Zoo list that's out there that's rocking it.
0: I mean, people are experimenting with Stealer and slower uh, Warlock strategies as well. I'm sure they saying, are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it's not. It's not working. But Stealer is a card that can be really good at some point uh, because it's a mana cheating card. It has potential to have repetitive managing, so that's a powerful mechanic uh, inherently. Um, So that's Warlock. Not much to say about it. And then Paladin. Oh boy, this is the last class. So hat. Uh, I'll ask you. When did Paladin finally crumble? When they nerfed the card draw. I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. You nerfed. They reduced the
1: resources. Uh Well, it's, Hand of Doll is the same amount of, of its cycle, but you don't have the board presence, and then you lose resources because the extra minion on first aid was a big deal. And we were all, I, I remember we were worried about first aid just going straight to one because it kills the card. Well, you still
0: have to play it, but it's not good. It's not really a good yeah, card. Yeah, you, you have to play it, but you hate it. So that's the current situation in Paladin. Paladin is honestly looking really bad. It's generally looking bad. Its win rate is tanking even harder. It's got no... I'm not seeing any scope for improvement, right? So you look at the deck. You look at Clown Druid, The deck is going to stay the same. So if other decks get better, it's going to drop. But Clown Druid has some cushion, right? It's tier two. It's looking okay. So even if it drops and it's rate a little bit, it's still going to be viable. Paladin is like sitting between the tier three and tier four margin. And it's tanking in its win rate pretty hard, especially at high levels of play. It's just completely disappearing. So even though, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, you're exaggerating about Paladin being Shaman, maybe, maybe Paladin is still viable. No, actually, Paladin right now, based on its current trajectory, is going to be like Shaman, unplayable, straight up, maybe playable at like, I don't know, Bronze, Platinum, Maybe it's going to be fine there. But whenever you climb higher on ladder, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, And yeah, hitting the card draw, hitting hand of a doll, hitting the combo of knight into hand of a doll, even though it's still a one for one, right? It's still a cycle card, does the same job. The fact that in the early game makes it harder for you to value trade and harder for you to snowball the board lead and gain card advantage through your board advantage... Uh, makes it a weaker card, still a card you want to play in every paladin deck, but it's just way worse. I mean, one health off a two mana card is a big deal. So honestly, I think we could have kept first day and Hannibal all the same, uh, and Paladin would have been f- fine now, but wouldn't definitely not have been broken. But obviously, they have no way to know that. And uh Team 5 really wanted to make sure that Paladin doesn't overshadow the new cards. So it ended up kind of killing Paladin, but at least we have um uh, just a couple of months until the next expansion. Maybe we give Paladin early game again. Maybe Paladin is allowed to have early game now that the Hand of doll is nerfed. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, Paladin's in a tough situation.
1: It's So Paladin, we were talking about this in the Discord earlier, uh, Paladin's been good since really like the end of Ashes. It was uh, it was starting to get good, the end of the last Ashes meta, uh, after they nerfed Demon Hunter again, and after they nerfed Warrior again, and they nerfed Galakrond Rogue, and like you could start to play it, but then Scholomance was kind of crazy right to the beginning. Uh, so pure Paladin was really, really strong right away, Libroom Paladin was discovered a little later. And then since then, Paladin's been good for about a year,
0: right? For just under a year. Yeah, it's I would like- say so. Uh, Lupin was a late bloomer in Skullman's, but definitely had the tools to be good. At least on people's memories, it's been good for like eight months, something like that. Um, yeah. So maybe 10 months. But the, the point is... Um, Now it's bad again. And the reason why it's bad is because Paladin really relied on having early board control. Because if the meta is this greedy, it's not going to win the resource battle against other classes. Other classes have better ways to beat you on on the resource end of the spectrum. You could lean towards resources. You could play a, a heavier deck. But if you can't win early game, you're not, you can't be viable because you don't have comeback mechanics. You don't have ways to swing board as Paladin in the first few turns. So if you lose the board early, you're in big trouble. And now, since you nerfed Hand of and First Day is even weaker, you can't even leverage your board lead that well. So this is why Paladin crumbled. Uh, and if you want paladin to be good again i don't know maybe you give it card draw more card draw so it doesn't rely on a couple of cycle cards to be viable overpowered cycle cards right because knight is nuts and have hand of a dawn the first iteration was nuts so those were two really powerful cycle cards that were played in every paladin deck maybe you give them card draw, restrictive card draw, same same deal as like a cram session or a primal dungeoneer so that its strategies can be more consistent that way. And if Hanover of Doll doesn't snowball board leads that well anymore, maybe you give them one drops that aren't random. <laughs> like first day of school. Maybe you can give them actually good standalone early game minions. Um, so I think the ways, I think Paladin in terms of design is in a healthy place in terms of design. I think Paladin's issue was always this expansion uh, came down to power level, not design. Gameplay-wise, I think it plays in a way that Team 5 uh, really like powerful decks to be. Uh, it, it doesn't feel unfair um, in terms of what it does. It, it, Paladin doesn't beat you out of nowhere Where it's like, oh, I was leading and suddenly this thing happened and I just got randomly blown away. Um, So in terms of play pattern, Paladin is healthy. It just needs to to have um, its power level addressed. And I think the reason why its power level is so polarizing is because it doesn't have draw. So it either has needs to have great board leads, right? Great initiative in the early game, really powerful, more powerful than other classes. And then it becomes really powerful through that. Or if it doesn't have that, then it's in trouble. So if you want to balance it, if you want to depolarize it, you need to make it less explosive in the early game, but also make it more consistent in the late game. I think that's the current issue. Easier said than done. But... I don't, and easier said than done but you, you get you printed one card in shaman one card draw card in shaman and suddenly you see two strategies viable from a class that was complete dumpster yeah so I don't know if it's that like mage like uh, just imagine a card just draw a card for every enemy character frozen something like that suddenly there's incentive to build a resource focused strategy around the mage freeze package suddenly there's something there um, but when you have this hole, these gaping holes of consistency, then, you know, it's not even worth touching these cards. But, you know, they're making an effort to make more card draw. The fact that they gave Priest two cycle cards like that is really encouraging, especially going forward in terms of Priest design, because it seems like they're going to move away from generation or they already reduce have, right? generation. Yes, but we, we're still paying, like, we're still experiencing degeneration because these are cards that were printed last year. A lot of these cards were printed last year, but maybe in next rotation, you're going to see Priest look very different in terms of how it plays things out. And cards like Cleric of Anchi and Dungeoneer are indicative of a different design target. So and there if, is if a desire... Look at like,
1: if you look at Priest at the end of the year, it's I think Renew and Sethic were both in Ashes and, you know, that's... It's a lot. Raise dead, which is enough to qualify by itself, as in Scolo. You look at uh, at Madness, of the Darkman Fair, uh, which we'll be rotating out. That was what—that just a uh, palm reading, but that was you know when you when you put all those cards together, that's a lot, and they perpetuate yeah. themselves.
0: Yeah. So the, the the point is, I think that actually card draw is is one of the easiest things to address and fix, and it's very unfortunate when classes are dead. Very often. They're dead because they don't have draw. And you just give them one card, like look at Shaman, you give them one draw card, and suddenly everything is more consistent throughout across the board. So I think it's one of the problems that is easiest to fix. Um, and it's just that their previous philosophy of just some classes get to have draw while others don't was... Uh, Main was the main cause of why classes were just dead for months at a time. And you move away from that, I think if you give every class more draw options, just like you gave Shaman right now you're going to see far less instances where a class is just not viable. Because even if you make a win condition, that's not the best win condition or the most effective one. If you give them card draw, it becomes more consistent in that also helps elevate the power level of that win condition. So you see, Doomhammer suddenly is viable. I think it's one of the easiest things to fix, actually, when it comes to something that's missing. Because it's hard to it's hard to balance early game, it's hard to balance late game. But card draw is a glue that you can address relatively more easily. I'm not saying start throwing card like so that people like drown in card draw, but Look at what Dungeoneer can do. Like a single Dungeoneer. A single three-drop that draws two cards, what it can do to an entire class. And also depolarizes the class. It, it makes it so that it's less likely that Shaman is either busted or garbage. Shaman's not going to be busted this meta. It's not going to be broken. People are afraid. Oh, Shaman is either broken or garbage. No. Evolve Shaman was broken or garbage because Evolve Shaman didn't have draw other than Custodian and its entire... Strategy was about creating one unkillable board and blowing out the opponent and winning through that. Right? It didn't win through longevity and a pattern game plan. It, it's just one power spike. And this is often what happens when you don't have draw. You need to push classes to have this one ridiculous power spike that helps them win the game. Or Paladin wins by snowballing board lead, hand of a, one drop hand of a doll, runs away from the game, conviction and such. If you reduce the power spike a little bit, even them out, but increase card draw so they have a better window, a time window, increase the time window of their game in which they can win or formulate a plan, a more consistent plan, then you you even out the, the polarity the the polarizing experience of playing against them. You make them less likely to be broken and you also make them easier to balance because one health on a buff doesn't just kill a deck. That's that's my point. Card draw good.
1: Yes. TLDR card draw good. And also we're excited for the 5 set meta. The mini set was nice. It did change things. But we're still kind of hungry for more cards, you know.
0: Yeah, but by the time by the time I think by the time we kind of um uh, get to solve this format uh there's gonna be the new expansion announcement probably by then. Yeah. And there's
1: probably one more set of nerfs before rotation, I think. or yeah, not rotation yeah, there before will the be. expansion release. It will be.
0: Maybe maybe in the third month, maybe in uh a- a July, beginning of July, we see Cthun and Yacht buffed, maybe. I don't know. Ooh. That yeah. would be fantastic timing, wouldn't it? Like just make a-, a a nice patch just a month before the expansion. Yeah, so people got three to experience- weeks,
1: which is about when we're due. Uh, they do they change stuff about once a month. Uh, that will align yeah. with the 0.6 patch, which should be also some small battlegrounds content. Uh, and potentially news of Hearthstone Mercenaries. We'll see. Um, haven't heard a lot about that, but that was supposed to be part of phase one. Remains to be seen, but uh, we, we do expect another major patch before the release of 21.0, which is the next expansion. So, we, we you know. The cards in Standard will not stay the same for more than another three, four weeks.
0: Yep. So I really like this cadence. The fact that there's... Yeah. Every two months there's new cards. There's a big balance patch every month so that there's always something new and fresh. And you never really get bored of it. So even if the meta is something that... Even if there's a meta... I didn't enjoy the first half of Barons. I personally did not enjoy first half of Barons. But now we have this mini set. Now I'm finding more enjoyment in the game. So the the period where I personally subjectively did not have as much fun is kind of over. And now I have a chance to enjoy the game again. Maybe another player, um, a certain meta is not to his taste. But I enjoyed it. But he doesn't. Then there's a new meta coming in a month or two months after where he can get to enjoy things. So in this cadence, there's never a risk where people are burned out for a long period uh, from a meta that they don't particularly enjoy.
1: Yeah, it's that they learned to not keep things. They learned to not keep things uh, just overly stable because that's also known as stale.
0: Yeah, and there's still time. You're still giving enough time to explore and solve things. We still get four weeks at a time of solving a meta, which is which is obviously fun by itself. So we'll see what happens next week. We're going to try and get to a, a one step closer at solving the meta. Main key takeaway that you need to remember in every report, first report of a patch, of an expansion, of a mini set, is we get data on the first experiments. We build the decks based on the first experiments that you see. Very often, people then read the report and take away ideas and move on and improving them further. And then the second report is really the big one, is the one that I personally enjoyed the most. I've said it before, so going to be interesting to see what happens to the meta um, on June seventeenth. Our next ba- podcast will be on June nineteenth, and. Uh, Yeah, that's all I have to say. Uh, Really cool. Shaman's back. Yeah. Get your doom hammers ready, folks. Elephants. The elephants will destroy you. Uh, Yes. The elephants.
1: I miss the elephants. I have two golden doom hammers. I've been waiting to break them out again. But I guess they're they're core now, so I can't even use my collectible ones. Hmm. Oh, well. Mm. So anyways, speaking of gold... Thank you so much to all of our VS Gold supporters and also all of our Patreon members. Thanks to everyone that's subbed and subscribed. We really appreciate your support. Um, and I hope you all read that classic report that just came out. Pretty interesting stuff. Yep. The, uh, if you want to play Zoo, you can't do it in Standard, but you can do it in Classic. And uh, oh, People are playing too much Zoo in Classic. How They're playing too much Zoo. What's as, going on there? Because they, they got to get their flame in somewhere and Standard is not meeting that need.
0: Mm, good point.
1: Also, of course, big thanks to Steven Sesse for our intro and outro. That's going to do it. Have a good night. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at vicioussyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.